0: And how you want to move in and through us, Lord, be with these people as they tune in now. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Woo!
1: You know what "woo" means? It's Greek. It's like when God's so good, you just don't have words for it, so you go "woo." So now, when you're walking around in town, you just walk up to somebody and go, "Woo!" And when they ask you, "What is that?" you say, "Man, God is so good. I just don't have words to tell you." Uh, So it's a it's a good uh, opening for evangelism. Amen. So uh, praise God! It's good to see all of y'all back here tonight. That's really good when you don't normally have Sunday night. I know you're threatened, though, but, you know, <laughs> broken arms and stuff. You know. um, so in, in 2010, I, I actually spent 15 years with the Assemblies of God, and I um, spent eight years of that with working with Native Americans out in Arizona, worked in the bottom of the Grand Canyon with the Havasupai people. We also worked in Alaska for uh, off and on a couple of different times and years uh preached just about all over alaska from the north borough to Nome to fairbanks down in the southern part out on the yukon river and uh, i thought god was calling me to do missions work up there and me and my daughter took a trip for a month and in the midst of that trip we left tennessee and went out west and worked with some native american friends i had out there and on that month long trip, God spoke to me about GARN, Global Apostolic Revival Network. And I, I mean, I had no plans. I was in the Assemblies of God, I was a nationally appointed home missionary. But I, but I, I was probably in that rim of, of being squeezed, waiting for the baptism into the next step, kind of like I talked about this morning. Because I didn't understand this role really as an apostle. And the assemblies, God sure didn't understand it because I'm supposed to be raising money to go to Alaska and I'm down in Mexico with a bunch of Native Americans preaching the gospel. So like, what are you doing down there? I don't know. God just said to go down there. And then the next thing I'm preaching revival somewhere else. So the things I was doing just didn't fit. If you're a missionary, you go to a town, you spend the rest of your life there. And I had intentions to do that, but that's just not how things worked. Generally, after a little bit of time, I'm tired of seeing the same faces. It's just, I mean, it's just the the makeup, the DNA of the apostolic is, you know, I don't think we're generally supposed to stay in one place all the time. And the church really hasn't known what to do with that because we have a different model. You know, pastors come in, they stay there, they give their life there. And and we need to understand along the way, there's a different makeup in what each of the fivefold ministry does. And we put demands on part of that. Um, We want a a prophet to be prophetic, but we want them to have the care and love of a pastor. Well, you just don't get both. Uh, We want apostles to carry us into battle, but we want them to be at home bandaging us up also, but that's just not what happens. I mean, their their mentality is, is... Take the kingdom of God. In fact, the word "apostle" is the only non-religious word of the fivefold ministry. And it was the Roman armadas was one thing that they were the leader, the general, that took Roman ships or armies into a town and um, took it over. But they stayed there, and they changed the culture to a Roman culture instead of actually destroying everybody or taking them prisoners. They changed the culture to a Roman culture. That way you had a territory conquered, and then now they were Romans. And so you just keep conquering territories and making them into Romans. And so that's what the five old Apostolic is supposed to bring the culture of heaven into an area. Woo. But it's a war zone. And that's, that's why the confrontation is so... Um, different between pastoral and prophet apostle because there's a different mentality the mentality of a, a, a real pastor is to take care of the sheep to get them in the pen to feed them to pet them to talk to them to counsel with them to make sure they're okay and an apostle prophet shows up to a church kicks down the pen tells the sheep to get out there and find some more sheep what are you doing And the pastor's about to have a heart attack. Oh my goodness, they're not ready. They'll not survive out there. What are you doing? It's like, well, they've been in church 20 years. When are they going to be ready? But if we can get them all together, then after they go out there and get beat up by the wolves, they can come back and the pastor can bandage them up and pet their heads and make Everything's going to be okay. You're going to make it. It's going to be nice. I won't let that apostle come back for another two months. (laughs) <laughs> and you know there hadn't been a lot of teaching on that and so in the assemblies of God I was in a I couldn't fit in the wine skin really they had it was it was a great 15 years it was a good time to learn and um, be taught things and experience things and have opportunities and so I don't Uh, go go around and say they were all bad and wrong. They opened doors and gave me opportunities and let me go do stuff, and I appreciate them for that. But there just came a time to move on to something else. And in the kingdom of God, because we talk about going and preaching the gospel, but Jesus really said, go preach the kingdom of God. John the Baptist said, go preach the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus told the 12, go preach the kingdom of God. So that was the, the fullness of the kingdom. So we really ought to be in this all together about the kingdom. And as I believe that's what God's doing in this day and time is he's bringing the kingdom. You know, And it's, and it's sad that it's almost been a bad word. You mean you br- br- believe in kingdom dominion or kingdom theology? Well, I mean, I think Jesus believed in it. John the Baptist believed in it. And you, you see it, Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus was talking to them about the things of the kingdom of God. And at the very end, Acts 28, Paul is talking to them. The last two uh, verses, he's talking to them about the things of the kingdom of God. But we've kind of left that out. Because it gives us responsibility to have to do something. Bring the kingdom of God to earth. The dominion of the king. And what's so bad the thing about having dominion when d- the dominion is to have you know, it says in Romans, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I mean, what job site don't want righteousness, peace, and joy? What home don't want righteousness, peace, and joy? What nation doesn't want righteousness, peace, and joy? And so it's our responsibility to try to bring that, bring that culture, bring that presence, and, the, and that, that righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I mean, no, wonder the church hadn't been able to bring that, most of it hadn't been in the Holy Ghost, by the Spirit. I was reading an interesting interesting book called Born in the Fire, and how many people have ever heard or read about the Welch revival? How many people want revival? (laughs) Then I asked the same question. How many people read books about revival? Praise God. A lot of churches, I say, how many want revival? Woo! How many read books about revival? Nobody. I'm like, do you really want, you know, if you want to grow a garden, you go get a book and read how to do it, if you, grandma didn't teach you. Or, you know, you read about it, you study about it, you look at it, and that's why when revival shows up, so many people are blasted, whoa, what in the world is this? I don't understand. We're carrying people out in wheelchairs, they're shaking, rolling, flipping, jumping, strange things are happening in here this must be the devil because they never read what historical revival is they don't know what it looks like or they don't even haven't read about what happens and it's amazing to me when those things show up and people say that's not biblical or revival i'm like what bible are you reading you know there's a guy named nebuchadnezzar that was king and one day he decided look what i've done and when he decided that guess what he did he became like a wild animal. His nails grew out. His hair grew out. He's out grazing in the field for seven years because he's pretty hard-headed. And finally he looked up and said, God, I'm not. I didn't do this. You did this. And God said, that's what I needed. Get back up. Let's go. But what a manifestation. I mean, I hadn't seen nobody around front of church out there grazing in the front yard. look like a wild animal. I seen some crazy stuff, but I hadn't seen nothing quite like that yet. So people are worried about a little bit of manifestation. Like my gosh, we ain't even got close. I think we need some congressmen and senators to be grazing in the front yard till they come to their right mind. May need some pastors and <laughs> preachers <laughs> to be grazing in the front yard till they come to their right mind and say, you know, it's it's not me doing this; it's God doing this, and give Him the glory. Uh, so. There's a lot more for us to see and do. And so we've been afraid of this apostolic or really not understand how it works. And we got to understand that he gave us five different ones because each has a function and operates in that function. And as the awesome thing about it is people that are sitting in the pews really have a greater advantage because to me, those that are operating in fivefold ministry... An apostle or prophet, you kind of specialize in what you do. I mean, I'm glad pastors can come up every week and preach to people week after week. The same people go to the hospital, sit and hold their hand, counsel. I'd love to tell stories and talk to people. I'm not mad at people or nothing. But I can't hear the same, oh, you just don't know how bad it is. <laughs> over and over every day, I'm like we got to go to India because there's 50,000 villages that never heard the name of Jesus before. And somebody needs to hear the name of Jesus. So let's go. Let's get over the victim mentality and get the victory. And let's go on down the road. But if, if we can learn the value of each one. And what happens with, when you have a church that allows the different gifts to come in and minister. You get an anointing off each one of them. So you can, as individuals, you flow apostolically, prophetically, evangelically, uh, pastorally, teaching. You begin to flow. You might not flow in the fullness like somebody who has a, you know, it's like a doctor that's a brain specialist. That's what he does. In fact, I have a pacemaker defibrillator. And one time I was visiting my heart doctor and I asked him about something else. And he said, I don't do something else. I do hearts. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So he specializes in hearts. So each one of those five specializes in something. But when there's an anointing in the house and all of them are ministering in the house, it releases a part of that anointing so you, you can operate in all five fold. If you show up somewhere and they need an apostolic breakthrough, you can carry that. If they, you show up somewhere and somebody needs a prophetic word, you can start releasing that. If you, if you need the care of a pastor, you can be carrying that heart of a pastor. So you can actually be operating, you have more chance of operating in all fivefold than I do. So all the excuses are gone. <laughs> I went to a business meeting this summer, and the name of it was No Excuses. I thought, we ought to have a church conference. Nobody probably show up, but... <laughs> and during that conference, they had... People that had been through this training up on stage teaching the training. They'd been successful and now they were teaching. I thought that would be awesome too. That we've made disciples who can also help make other disciples. Instead of being just spectators. So so God's opening the door. In in this apostolic and... uh, We've been to India about five times and Uganda about five times. Ooh, India's is a tough place to go. It's against the law to preach the gospel there. If you're an outsider, you've got to go on a tourist visa. And we go to the villages where it's interesting. A lot of people are living in little brush shacks and things like that. and uh, pretty Pretty hard stuff. The lowest caste system out there. But man, it's the greatest harvest field you've ever seen. ooh it's, it's tough staying in places. It's tough eating the food. For me, I mean, I don't know why God called me to do this stuff because I'm pretty picky about my food and things like that. And God sends me these places where they have this weird stuff going on. And it's all spicy and I don't like spicy stuff. And I mean... But you go out there, hallelujah, and you get a music stand. I mean, do y'all mind if I just talk to you a little bit tonight? Be like Paul, talked all night till somebody fell out the window. (laughs) At least it won't be a very far fall. Just fall off the pew and. So you, you go over there and um, you can just walk, uh, they'll carry you in a village. And I asked, I asked the, they, got, they have some good pastors over there, some good preachers. I said, why don't you just go in these villages and preach instead of us having to come over here. And they said, they won't come out to hear us, but the Hindus will come to hear you because you're from America, because you're white-skinned. And so they'll come out to hear and see you because a lot of villages, they've never seen a white person before. When you land on the airplane, once you leave the airport, I never seen nothing but Indian people. Never. There was no other white people, no other black people, no other Hispanic people, just Indian people. Hundreds of thousands. There's 1.2 billion Indian people. There's 350,000 American people. The land of India is one-third the size of America. So you've got three times the population and one-third the size. So there's people everywhere, pretty much. So you go into a village, they carry you into a village, and you kind of go secretly, and you go, you go to this village, this village, this village. You don't ever go back to the same village because it's catching on, and the, the Hindu priest or whatever are finding out about it. So you got to go, and then you run back, and you hide out somewhere for a while, and then you go to another one, and you come back. But you go, and they'll carry you in there. Man, people just start coming out. And you can just preach the gospel, just real simple gospel, and all of them that come see you will re- receive Jesus. 45, 50, 60 people, whoever shows up, and they just came to see a white person. I just tell them, hey, what's the chances of God sending me to this village to tell you that Jesus loves you and wants to come into your heart and live? Because you've never seen a white person before, but God sent me here. And all of them say, yes, we want to do that. i like, praise God. I love this. <laughs> and then you, then you pray. We prayed for one lady there who had a messed up eye. She'd received Jesus. She fell down on the ground. She started speaking in tongues. The most amazing place I've ever seen. You don't even preach about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes people are praying to receive Jesus. And as they're doing that, God baptizes them in the Holy Spirit. I don't think we ever really preached about the baptism and people are getting baptized. And so this one lady falls down. She just heard the gospel the first time. Got prayed for. Falls down. Starts speaking in tongues. And I actually took a video on it. I asked the Indian pastors with us, is that tongues or Telugu? She's, oh, she's speaking in tongues. She's speaking in tongues. I said, awesome. So after we, two years later, we're in Uganda, and I'm in a station wagon, a little car with this pastor from the bush, and we're going to the airport to fly out. And he's asking about India. I want to go preach in India. So I show him the video of that, of that girl speaking in tongues, and he starts getting excited. He's like, oh. And I was like, what's going on? He said, she's speaking in the tribal language of my village. What's the chances two years before and you take a video and you're in this car with this bush pastor. And he says, she's speaking in the language of my village. I mean, this stuff is real. I said, what's she saying? He said, she's saying he's much higher than all the rest. He's much higher than all the rest. So she's speaking in tongues and magnifying God and saying, He, Jesus, is much higher than all the other hundred million gods in India. I mean, she's declaring within ten minutes of receiving Jesus, she's declaring He is much higher than all the rest. I mean, this Holy Ghost knows what's going on. He's glorifying and magnifying Jesus in that woman. We had another, another guy prayed for we had a service a healing service and several people got healed and then i just preached the gospel and a few stood up it was in a church actually to receive jesus we started praying the prayer and as we're praying the prayer she gets baptized in the holy spirit she's speaking in tongues and i'm asking the pastor is that tongues and interpretation or what's going on he said no she's never done that before and i'm like jesus i didn't even get through with my sinner's prayer and you interrupted it speaking to have her speaking in tongues He likes to have fun. <laughs> so then a, a lady had her back healed that had been hurt really bad on a bus accident. So just, in the service, we're praying for people. This, I pray for this man. He falls out on the ground. He gets back up, jumps in my face, and he's saying, Jesus is God. Jesus is mighty God. Jesus is wonderful God. Jesus is God. Jesus is mighty God. Jesus is wonderful God. And I mean, he's like right in my face excited. I'm like, yeah, praise God. Hallelujah. He just kept saying it over and over and over and over. And I finally said, shut up in the name of Jesus. (laughs) And he didn't shut up. He just kept saying it. I'm like, what is wrong with this guy? I I agree with you. Jesus is God. So me and Miss Carol prayed for him. He fell down on the ground again for a minute, kind of looked at me, got back up, started again. I'm like, oh, man. And so I finally got some of the Telugu pastors over there and we prayed, calm down, peace be still. Finally got him calmed down because, I mean, his eyes, he's all excited. And then I, I talked to him and see what's happening. They talked to him a minute. They look at me and they said, he don't know. He's never spoke that language before. So God baptized him in the Holy Spirit and he's speaking perfect English. And he's saying, Jesus is God. Jesus is mighty God. Jesus is wonderful God. They spoke in tongues. They magnified God. And I'm thinking, the greatest miracle I've ever seen. And I told him to shut up. I didn't take a video or nothing. I read this in books and now I'm seeing it. So, Don't be afraid to do something because I might mess this up. I've messed a lot of things up. You know, I like heaven to be entertained. I'm sure the angels up there, look at Bill. We finally gave him what he prayed for and now he's messed it up. (laughs) So, don't worry so much about it. It'll be okay. Angels will have fun laughing at you for a little while and you'll get over it. I'd rather make a mistake than do nothing at all. The ones that never fail are the ones that fail to get up. They're laying on the couch. They never make a mistake. They can tell you all your mistakes, but they've never made one because they've never done nothing. So I don't, I don't think God is upset over, you know, when our hearts ride and we just make a mistake, that don't bother heaven at all. Now, if you're purposely doing stupid stuff, that's not good. But if your heart's in it and you're just doing the best you can, man, heaven's right there taking you in. So I want to share a a little bit more about what was this morning because it talked about, you think uh, I came to bring peace, but I came to bring division is one of the things Jesus said after he said, I came to start a fire, and I wish it was already started. And then he said there'll be division between in homes, three against two and two against three. And then he says it'll be a, a father against a son and a son against a father and a mother against a daughter and a daughter against a mother and then mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. So even in the family, there was division. He said, I came to bring a sword. In Matthew it says, I came to bring a sword. So there would be division. There would be things that go on. And when I read that uh, yesterday, God was speaking. That's apostolic. It'll cause division because there is there is a different mentality. Uh, You know, it's kind of driven by to accomplish the mission. And so we have to be aware of the mentality. Apostolic mentality is driven to accomplish a mission. When it's a different mentality than a pastor. I, I contrary them to both because that's a lot. Apostle, apostle prophet have similar mindsets. They just do different functions. But the pastor is the one that usually has to deal with things that are going on. So I'm contrasting those two. Apostle prophet with pastor a lot. And so when heaven comes, it's going to bring division. It's just some people are going to be in and some people are going to be out some people are not going to want to uh, do the warfare. Some people are not going to want to face, like, the team this week. Uh, all of them were putting up prayer requests. Man, I'm facing a lot of resistance. This happened. Ms. Mary had an accident, got sick. And every every person up here faced stuff. And that's something I see when churches experience a great move of God and the, the, the stuff starts hitting. Then we want to back off. Whoa. It's a lot better when we just have in regular churches. Church, yeah. heaven's really nice, but man, I'm not ready to pay the price. So get me out of the war zone, and that's that's why we need apostles and prophets in churches is to lead the battle and to help. I believe God's uh, part of the DNA is to help fight against the principalities and powers. And what you know what, and and some of the difference between prophets and apostles is. A lot of times when I go into areas like India and stuff where there's statues and idols and stuff everywhere. I don't hardly feel it. But I have somebody somebody's an intercessor with me or a prophet with me, they're like, man, don't you feel that? Don't you feel that? No, I'm not feeling nothing. Because I think I have to be protected to go into those places and do what I do. If I was feeling it all, I wouldn't get nothing done. And I'm saying this, uh, not me, but the gift and the calling of an apostle. I just know my experience. I know my experience in 1997 when I was just pastoring, but I was involved in the Brownsville Revival, and I went to a friend's church, and he had a prophet there speaking, and we got to have a little time before we went in the service, and he looked at me and said, God's called you to be an apostle. I'm like, I'm just barely trying to survive being a pastor. I don't have a clue what it means to be an apostle. All I know is they got beat, they got put in jail, they got whipped with rods, uh, you know, they got stoned, and I'm really not interested in that. That's bad enough just being a pastor, so. But after eight years of traveling, or about eight years from that time, and part of that included traveling I mean, God calls you to ride a bicycle across America and pray over state capitals. And so you travel and you preach revivals, and God just said, preach as you go. Wherever you go, preach. And God would open church doors and preach, travel, hold a cross up, pray over state capitol buildings. Just go out because, and, and then God led us out west, and then we started putting us on reservations. Then we wound up staying in the bottom of the Grand Canyon with the Havasupai people. Spent two and a half years living in the backyard of a family, and six months of that was in an 8 by 12 uh, little building, and the rest of the two years was in a 400-square-foot building with my wife and my daughter and living in the backyard. So God taught us a lot during that time. Taught us one thing was, you know, Native American people are hard ministry a lot of them are because they've been done so bad and so so many things have been broken so many uh, agreements have been broken treaties have been broken and so when you do things for them there's not much appreciation so you learn if you're doing it for them are you doing it for the Lord so sometimes we go to places we don't so much minister to people but God ministers to us and he's equipping us we have to learn we're on a journey and sometimes God is equipping us and taking us through something. Uh, you know, I hate to say a test or a trial, but we're going through those to see what, how much can I give you? What can I pour out on you? What can you carry? And being faithful in the little things, being faithful there for two years, two and a half years, and then moving on. And then God opens doors in Alaska and sent us out to uh, St. Lawrence Island. is off the coast of Nome, about 180 miles And it's only 35 miles from Russia. And we got to preach out there in a Presbyterian church that actually didn't have a pastor. And spend a week going into elders' homes and praying over them because they couldn't make it to church no more. And preaching the gospel. And and to me what that was was, God, thank you for the, the opportunity that you trusted me with these precious people on this island. Out in the middle of nowhere, God. To be able to go in these elders' homes and listen to their stories one Elder, I went in and talked to him for a while, and he said I hadn't been able to take a bath in, in three days because this pain in my body. And we prayed for him right, right after he said that. And about 15 minutes later, he said, I'm feeling pretty good. And about 30 minutes later, he said, I'm going to take me a shower. I'll see you later. <laughs> So when, when God offers, opens opportunity for somebody at Walmart or somebody at work or somebody opens their heart to you, thank you, God, for the precious opportunity, the gift that you've given me to be able to minister to this person. You've trusted me with their soul. You've trusted me with their life. And so I think about those villages and stuff. Man, thank you, God, that you allowed me to come down some hillbilly from Tennessee to go up there with the Eskimo people where they're still harpooning whales and stuff and hang out with them for a little while. Woo! But if you're not faithful in the, you know, we, we take for granted the little things. If we're not faithful in those little things, then God can't open the door for other things. And so it's all a training process. Being in the bottom of the Grand Canyon, I didn't feel was that successful. We didn't build a church down there. The Mormons came in and built a church right across the little dirt path from us. I thought, what is this, God? I'm down here two and a half years, and we serve the people and love the people. And the Mormons come down here, and they treat the people like dirt, and they're building a church right over there. That ain't fair. And so you could get mad at God. Well, I'm leaving here, and I ain't doing this no more. But if you get mad at God, that's right where you stop at. It did open opportunities, and, it, and it, what it did, most other native people in the southwest know about Supai. I mean, you got to hike eight miles to get down there. They're in a valley. There's 450 people. It's a half mile deep and a mile wide down in the Grand Canyon. And so if other native people heard you live down there, it opened the door instantly. Yeah, come here. I mean, you're like a brother. So... There's things going on in our lives that we may not see with our natural eye that God is preparing for something that's going to happen in the future. So, if He's working all things out for the good to those that love Him, then we got to, even when we go through trials, we got to believe God's working something out for the good here. If I'll stand in the midst of this and prepare myself and keep going, something good is about to happen. In fact, this week when there was a lot of resistance, I'm not liking the resistance that much, but I'm saying, I know something good's about to happen. I mean, that's we got to think beyond the valley. And when the trials are coming, we got to start thinking, whoo, something good's about to happen. Boy, if the enemy is attacking this hard, something good is coming. Now, I know y'all have had some attacks and stuff, so you... We can't dwell on what happened or what took place. But what we got to focus on is, man, God is setting us up for something. Hallelujah. It's going to be good. Woo! Because he's working things out for good. And so, being down there for a couple of years and then moving on, but it opened doors to go to other places. And then ministering with native americans and learning how to do that opened doors to go overseas and minister because I, I don't when when i go overseas i want to partner with people i don't want to come in and we're the americans and we know how to do everything and you need because if you got money you can go to third world countries and you can be the king but we don't what happens with the king is when the king leaves and the money leaves everything else dies that ain't what we want We want to partner with the vision of the national people and help empower them to have revival and a move of God in their land because I don't want to move over there and live. I like America. After my first trip to India, when I got to Chicago airport, I was kissing the ground. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know why you chose me to live in America, but thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I mean, every high school graduate ought to go to India or some third world country for about a month. When they come home, they'll be different. Amen. Um, Every person ought to go. They're different. I mean, when you land in India, most people i have taken is three days before they can get a grasp on things. They're just looking around with their jaw hung open because it's such a change in your world, it's hard to believe. Your eyes are seeing it, but your mind is not getting reality. And about three days, finally, they're like, okay, yep, I'm here in India. Mm, let's do something. So division and things happening. It, you know, it comes, we, we do what we can to stop that from coming. We don't want to see that type of stuff come. But there's one king. And if somebody's compromising you from following that king, decisions have to be made. And we got to follow the king. And we got to be about his kingdom. I mean, we only have a short time on this earth. And we've got, everybody here has something God divinely ordered for you to do while you're here. That's why you're still here and not there. So there, there's a little something I've been, um, in Acts chapter 9. It's kind of the process. I'm not supposed to talk about missions. (laughs) Our our last trip to Uganda was really good, and that's why we're going back in the end of February, February 26th, and then we're going again in September. Uh, We're going out to the western Uganda, out in the more of the bush, Uganda is a Christian nation, but it's kind of like America. you got people that know Jesus, people don't know Jesus. But the thing is, you can freely preach the gospel. It's not against the law. And this last trip, we were able to have uh, 17 churches and 25 pastors come together and formed an apostolic council, and we have apostles and elders now. Uh, We're able to go, we're starting a Bible school. We have an orphanage that we were able to pay for the building and the land the orphanage is on. We're purchasing another uh, lot next to that to build a school for the orphans and we want to see them be 5 ministry or uh, lawyers or doctors or businessmen or leaders in the community we want to see them have an effect in their nation and you know not just be raised up to survive but we want to see God do something in them create a kingdom culture and a kingdom mentality that they can do all things and then we also want to uh, build a building for a Bible school there because out in western Uganda, they have to go to Kampala to go to Bible school. And very few of them get to do it. Very few of them, most of them are untrained. And uh, some pastors don't even have Bibles, but they're still pastoring a church. So there's a lot of opportunity there. And uh, we got to go to the top of a mountain, 12,500 feet, and preach the gospel. That's the tallest church I've ever been in. But they said when we were up there, there's never been a white person at the top of this mountain here. So I'm like, yeah, missions on steroids. The next day, we're in the bottom of a valley in a banana jungle preaching the gospel. So if something of that stirs you up, you may want to come on a trip. So in Acts chapter 9. I'm gonna get some help from my team here, maybe a little bit. But there's 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 a procedure or a journey here that I think's that's what I'm teaching them in Uganda. That's what I'm teaching here. And it's it's the five C's. I hate to have a five point sermon. But it's converted. Called, connected, commissioned, and covered. And I think if we see in the book of Acts how they did things, that it gives us a pattern for how we should do things. And I believe it will give us success in what we're doing. So if you read here in Acts chapter 9, you find that <clears throat> Paul has an exciting conversion experience. Amen. I'm not going to read all the scripture, but I'm, you know, Acts chapter 9, verse 4, 5, and 6 in there, where he meets God on the Damascus Road. Jesus shows up. And so he has an encounter with God, and his, and his words then are, verse 6, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, to me, that's that's getting saved right there. Hey, he didn't just say a little prayer. Uh, people need to meet with God. So... And that ought to be the question is, when when somebody's praying and asked Jesus in their heart, okay, now what do you say? It ought to be saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? What is it? It doesn't matter. What is it? I mean, because when God's truly in there, it's when you've met God. I I think too many people have had an emotional experience, but not a spiritual experience. And we've made this thing down. I mean, how can it be just a little, just uh, say this little prayer that Jesus loves you and wants to come in your heart. And sometimes that works. I mean, that's why you have to be led by the Spirit. Because sometimes people don't, I mean, they're so hungry and ready, you can just about touch them and God's coming in them. But we can't really have a formula of how to do it. But what we want to see is whatever it takes for God to come in and live inside of them. Because if He comes in to live inside of them, stuff's going to happen. They might not be perfect right after that. They're probably not going to be perfect. None of us. We're all walking on that journey towards getting more like Him. But at least their heart's going to be open to say, whatever you want me to do, Jesus, that's what I'm trying to do. That's, I mean, when somebody's heart's like that, that's a good sign right there. So I, I want Miss uh, Lori to come share. She's going to share a little bit of her testimony, conversion experience. Two. Two. <laughs>
0: Praise the Lord. I just want to come from a text tonight out of Luke uh, chapter uh, 22. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses here, starting in verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon. Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Amen. Praise God. I've got a powerful testimony about how the Lord saved me. And how I got delivered. I got delivered from a spirit of condemnation. And, uh, I was demon possessed. I didn't even know it. You know? And, uh. So anyhow, I was at a singles meeting, and this little old lady, she's packed full of the Holy Ghost, about 80 years old, and she came up to me uh, at an altar service where I was desperate for the Lord. I knew who my source was. I just couldn't get to him. You know what I mean? And, And so he just came down to where I was. And so he sent this little old lady, and she laid her hands on me, and she said, You spirit of condemnation. And when she said that, it was like, a gazillion particles on the inside of my body just came alive and they were nervous and they were jumping and it felt like my foot was asleep. you know how your foot feels when it's asleep it was what that was going on on the inside of me and she said uh, uh, you come out of her right now economy I mean this woman had economy with words and when she said that it's like all these particles went whoosh right here And it was right here. I could feel it. It was like a big lump. Hmm. And she said, in the name of Jesus. And when she said that, that that spirit, that being that was in me, it came up and out of my esophagus and it departed out of my mouth. And it left my body. And I knew that I knew that I knew that I was forgiven. Amen. Praise the Lord. And then the Lord took me in the Word the next day in Romans 8, 1 and showed me, you know, there's no condemnation to those that walk in the Spirit, you know, and not after the flesh. And I thank God for that experience, you know. Um, But you know what? Peter was walking with Jesus. He'd been walking with the Lord for three years, you know. But he still needed to be converted, See, so there's more to conversion than just getting saved, Amen. You know, He needs to save us from ourselves. You know, many of us need to learn how to conquer ourselves, Amen. We need to learn how to conquer ourselves, and so that's kind of where my angle is tonight. I mean, I uh, I love my salvation story. I love it, love it, love it, love it. But conversion starts with salvation. You know, there's a saving process that takes place day by day by day as you walk with the Lord and as you yield to His will and you become the clay in His hands and He's forming you. Amen? So some of the things that the Lord has dealt with me about along the way, helping me to be converted and to be saved for myself, are things like, and I'm just going to mention these real real quick because... My 2 minutes is up. <laughs> but uh self-exaltation. We're all searching for significance. You know, and fear will drive you to overcompensate. It'll drive you to selfish ambition. It'll drive you to presumption. Come on somebody. <laughs> you know, and so the Lord is working a work in me. And it's been a journey. It's been a journey. So I'm, I'm just going to share a quick vision with you. One night I was in a service, a Holy Ghost filled service. We had a privilege of sitting up underneath an apostolic pastor for 14 years. And uh, God had been dealing with me about self-exaltation. And I went to the altar and I repented, you know. And, and this is the thing, you know, we, we wrestle with the Lord, amen, like Jacob and the angel. You know, what is your name? What is your name? What is that thing that's working in you? What do you need to repent of? What is surfacing as the Lord purges you? What part of your flesh needs to die? you got to name that thing. It's got to come to the light. That's why we come to the altar. We expose that thing before the devil. I mean, before the Lord, we expose the the work of darkness at the altar before the light of the Lord so that he can, you know, scrape it off of us. And so anyway, I repented of self-exaltation that night. And the Lord took me out in the spirit Hmm And I'll never forget it I'll never forget it I was, It was laying there Under a pew I saw myself Under the pew Right there And I was covered Completely covered With fruit I knew it was fruit I just knew it was fruit I never saw anything like it before Never have It was about the size of ping pong balls and they were a dark olive colored. You ever seen any fruit like that? Looked like a dried up kumquat or something. You know, or I don't know. It was weird. It was different. Never saw nothing like it. But anyway, in the vision, the Lord, I couldn't see me. I couldn't see me, but I knew it was me. All I could see was the fruit. <laughs> Come on, somebody. And the Lord was showing me, Lori, as you continue to die to self, die to self-exaltation, the fruit is going to come forth. That's how the fruit comes forth. It doesn't come forth by your own efforts. It doesn't come forth from you trying to push yourself to the top. It doesn't, try, it doesn't come forth from you stepping on your, your, your neighbor's back or your brother or your sister's back. It comes forth from the Spirit as you die out. Hallelujah. So, you know... My husband and I, we've been married 31 years, been in the ministry the whole time. Glory to God. But guess what? I'm in a new season. I'm in a new season. I'm in a season right now laying down my agenda, hooking up with this wild guy. Amen? Well, I'm on a journey. I don't know where I'm going. I just know I'm ready for something fresh. I'm ready for something new. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm ready for God to do something through my life. I'm ready for the wind of God to come in and carry me. Amen. So I'm like Gideon. You know, I'm like Gideon. I'm overcoming fear. Hallelujah. I'm standing up to be counted for Jesus Christ, for the ministry of Jesus Christ. I'm praying. I'm seeking God. I'm doing warfare daily over the prophecies that have been spoken over my life. Hallelujah. And I'm going somewhere in Christ. Amen. It may not look like I'm going somewhere. You may look at me and think, oh, there's a tortoise. There's a tortoise. There's a tortoise. She moves slow. In fact, some days she looks like she's a glacier. She ain't going nowhere. <laughs> but I'm going somewhere. I'm going somewhere in the Spirit, in the Spirit, in the Spirit. Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So I just want to encourage you guys today just to get up in the river. Get up in the river and let the Lord convert you. Amen.
1: Amen. Ooh. Miss Lori's a teacher. Yeah, amen. So it's a blessing to have. We're believing God that he has all fivefold uh, putting together on this team. And so, after con- uh, converted, is calling. Shouldn't be too long, and it wasn't too long in Saul's life that he had a calling. If you read over in verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, talking about Saul. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. I mean, a lot of us want prophetic words, but how about that one? The Lord wants to show you how many things you're going to suffer for his name's sake. Oh, Jesus, you're a false prophet. That's what I got to say. (laughs) You know, it's not easy. But I I think we're much I don't know, there's some kind of balancing. Because Saul was going so far that way, I believe the balance was coming back. I mean, he would, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Some of the persecution and trials and tribulations he sowed, I mean, that he would now endure and suffer those things. And I think he would willingly, because he was so broken about what he had done, that now... But <clears throat> it was just a price to pay, and he was willing to pay it. Uh, so he had his calling to go before kings and Gentiles, to go preach the gospel. And he would have a hard road ahead going to do that, but he would also write most of the New Testament. And so I want, to, who's got calling? <laughs> you want to do calling? You want to do it covered? I'll do calling. I think I'll volunteer to do calling. (laughs) Our one one, one member's visit. So I got saved in the Baptist church. And about a year and a half later, I was in a... uh, During the summer, I'd help the pastor go and preach some. I'd shared at a RV campground. We'd go hand out flyers on Saturday and have a little service on Sunday morning. And I felt God stirring something up inside of me. Uh, There there was something going on. I, I didn't know... I mean, I didn't grow up in church. I really didn't know what the plan was, but something was being stirred inside of me. And that uh, Halloween, actually, Halloween week, we had a uh, pastor come in and preach revival. And on Halloween night, I surrendered to the ministry to call him a God. That don't always mean you'll know what the future holds, or you may not know exactly what, uh, what you'll operate in. But I believe God, there needs to be, sometime you can go back and say, I know God called me to do this. And the other way you can find out, I heard a man say, a young man ask an older man, how do you know for sure if you're called into the ministry? And he said, when you, when you wake up Sunday morning and you're craving chicken. <laughs> I thought I was going to have something real serious to say. <laughs> so probably all of y'all is called in here. <laughs> I don't know if that story works in the South because everybody wakes up craving chicken sometime. <laughs> but Paul, and the, the reason you, have, you need God to speak to you because there's some things you're going to go through that unless you know for sure that God called you, you're going to give up. You're going you're gonna to wave the white flag and say, I surrender. You need to know that God has called you to do something. You need to know He's spoken to your life. When we went to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, You know, God had spoke to me to pray over America. I was doing that. We wound up visiting the bottom of the Grand Canyon, spending a little time down there and preaching some. And uh, then I came back home and I I went back for Thanksgiving uh, to do. In fact, when we were in the Grand Canyon, when we came out was 9/11. We were driving back home from uh, Arizona, and 9/11 hit that morning when we were driving. So Thanksgiving, we had a group. We went back down in there and ministered some more. And I came back out, and God's saying. I'm calling you to go down there. I'm like, no, I don't think so. I really like Viston, but I'm not ready to move down there. And one of the main things is they have horses. They don't have cars. And I hate horses. The other part of the story is the first time I went down, I had to ride a horse all the way down in there. That's terrible. But so that uh, during Christmas, right after Christmas, the ramp has a winter camp, winter ramp meeting, if anybody knows Karen Wheaton and the ramp over in Alabama. So I went over to the ramp. I took some, of my, some kids down there, some of my kids down there, and Tommy Tenney was there. And while he's getting ready to go up, I mean, they have this crazy, radical group of kids, and I think they have three sets of drums And it's loud and people are, you know, there's a thousand kids in this building and they're going crazy. And in the middle of all that, I heard a voice say, are you willing to go to the desert for one? And my mind came to Philip after he preached revival to the Samaritans. That he, an angel sent him out from there. And he went out and he found the Ethiopian eunuch. So he left revival and went to the desert for one. And God said, are you willing to go back to the desert, even if it's just for one? And I said, yes. I said, I need my wife to agree. I need the assemblies of God to agree. <laughs> and they did supernaturally. And so we went for one. So, but I needed to hear that voice. Because there was times in there I wanted to give up. I spent six weeks slipping in a tent in the backyard and drunks coming by and different things happening. It'd be easy to give up. But if you heard the voice say, When the devil's doing everything he can do, you can say, but God said. That's what we need to hear. Amen. So that's a calling.
0: Thank you again for tuning in with us. If this word ministered to you, please consider sowing a seed to Freedom Ministries at freedomministriescrossit.com. We have made it available to you on the giving page. Thank you again. Go and be blessed. In Jesus' name.